I wish I had known my guest sooner. Every dinner party he has ends with a round of homemade liqueur. The liquid was so good that he was convinced to bottle it for the whole world to enjoy. Now everyone's dinner party can end with one more sip. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. Thomas Lester was busy doing other things when he realized what he was making was just too yummy not to share. Thus, Reverend Hubert Winter Gin Liqueur was born. It took a few twists before he had the perfect recipe. But now you just can't miss its colorful bottle everywhere you look. Who was Reverend Hubert? And how did his picture end up coloring the iconic label? Well, you're just going to have to listen in. I'm so excited to have you here. It was so great to meet you last year. I've wanted to have you on the show for so long. And now, of course, winter is here. And since you make a winter liqueur, it was time. Where did this idea even come from? Right, good question. Because I have no idea about spirits. I've never worked in booze. I've had various jobs in the past, some incredibly brilliant and amazing and some less so good. But this came about because I love having dinner parties and I always uh, like people at the end of a dinner party to stay for an extra couple of hours to make sure, you know, since we're all together, that we make the most out of hanging out. And because of that, I started making a limoncello because in London, probably 10 years ago, it was quite difficult to find a nice limoncello. So I started importing Amalfi lemons and zesting them. And so then at the end, we could all have a shot or two and keep going. And, and that kind of progressed into now, every time I have a dinner party, I've got to have some kind of cool homemade something or other. And we moved into a new house. And I had a cherry tree in the garden and it was so bountiful and beautiful and amazing. And, you know, I mean, I'm living in London, right? So, so this is a rare find. And I started messing around with the cherries and I was making cherry brandy and cherry liqueur and cherry jello, whatever you want to call it. And things were going well. And, And on the back of that, I then started to add different ingredients. And I felt like I should do one for Christmas day. My mum is Christmas day mad. And so I felt, you know, I was hosting the family. So I started putting in some other stuff. Lucky guess of yours. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I wish I'd known you then. Every time yeah. you go to a dinner party, there's some different spirit after the whole party ends. And it's another party. And, and part of to having these parties is... is Look, we, we all love a party, but also it's the excitement and the build up and the, you know, what wine am I going to choose, right? That's kind of the joy of doing these things. And so on Christmas day, one year, uh, I made a basic version of what is now the winter gin liqueur and it was cloudy and gloopy. It tasted all right. It was nice. So the Christmas pudding comes out and I bring it to the table and it's lit and then we're all doing shots. And that was when a couple of friends of mine who are not mad on liqueurs decided that this was quite good. And so I went out to refine it, to try and make it into something better. Do you remember what that first recipe included? I do. So imagine you've got this kilner jar, right? 
and, and I've got three of them. I'd like to say none of them were the same ever because it was just what I was around. So I'd grab some cinnamon, some star anise, some cloves. If I had fresh ginger, I'd chuck in fresh ginger. If I had ground ginger, I'd use that. And then I think originally my son was young going through the, having raisins in, in those little packs you know, in the playground. So then I'd chuck in a couple of them, but it was the orange and lemon that would make a difference. And, and by that, what I mean is I love Amalfi lemons and that went back to making limoncello. And so, you know, when you've got one of those enormous lemons and you're zesting it and you've got oil on both sides. So while most of it was chucking it in, the lemons were just a bit more delicate. I felt more love with the lemons. And then I'd buy Sicilian oranges, right? And so it was that that gave it the freshness and the boost. And then you had a bit of gloopiness afterwards. But you know what? Uh, I mean, I, I think when I looked at some that was left over a year later, the sediment was halfway up the bottle. So it wasn't an attractive looking <laughs> thing. <laughs> so your friend said, let's refine this. Yeah. And then I got introduced to Joe and some people will know Joe. So Joe has got the most amazing brain when it comes to processes and his palate is recognized as one of the best in the world. So, so Joe's a guy who, when you meet him, you don't forget him. He has got a ridiculous palate and a ridiculous knowledge of anything to do with alcohol or wine. Some people might know him because he has won wine personality of the year and he used to be the, the wine or spirits guy on Tom Kerridge's food or drink often been on television, podcasts, blah, blah, blah. And so he came along and I said, have a taste. Do you think this is worth pursuing? And his first question was, which raisins do you use? So I said, <laughs> so I said and you're like, you, from my, my, my yeah. son's pack. Yeah. yeah. I think they're called sun something or other. And so where do they come from? What oil are they covered in? And I mean, you know, I, I kind of opened a can of worms a bit, didn't I? But we had six months of, at first, awesome fun testing out whether it was vodka or gin and a bit of lemon and a bit of star anise. Was the Sri Lankan cinnamon better than the Indian cinnamon? And that was fine until we, we kind of, we, we just kind of lost track of time in a way. And after six months, it's time to produce something. So we then kind of took it up a level and the, the lemons were, were no brainer, right? Because the Amalfi, the lemons, the oranges, we found the oranges growing in an orchard behind the lemons down on the Amalfi. So we just felt like that would save on carbon footprint. We get all them together and, and it, and then it came together to taste and look incredibly different in polished and, and shiny, you know, it was, it was an amazing moment when we produced our first batch. Well, hold, now, hold on. Let's back up a little. Yeah. Did you, did you seek out Joe specifically thinking this is going to be a business or this is going to be a bit of fun and, you know, I'm not sure where this is going to go. Or did you just meet him socially at a party and said, oh, I have this thing. This is an idea. So I've got a great friend of mine that owns an amazing restaurant called Round and Obin on, on Brewer Street. And so delicious. And, and he is friends with Joe Wadsack. But he had always said to me, he felt like introducing me to Joe could mean big trouble because we both enjoy a night out. In a That's, good way, I assume. 
yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, but he was nervous, and, yeah. and and so when I met Joe for lunch, it was clear first of all within one minute that we were going to be friends and get on. And I think Joe is not a person who is going to do something by halves, and unless he thinks it's a good idea. So when we're meeting for lunch. I was probably just looking forward to a nice lunch <laughs> and, uh, right. And, and, you know, where's it going to go? And I think by, you know, by the time we left the restaurant in the early hours at, or the late hours of the evening, I think then we thought there could be something, but it's all, it's all very well and good saying, right. Okay. We've got something. What do we do next? What happened next, which kind of was the pivotal, pivotal two hours was I got introduced to Fairfax from Sipsmith who very kindly gave me two hours on, you know, and, and it's a bit of a kind of, you know, I'm sitting there like, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. And he obviously does know what he's doing. So, so it was like a quick fire questions for two hours and key questions were, you know, I've got X amount of money. What do I spend it on? And he gave me some good advice about what to spend it on, about the label, about the marketing, about how the Sipsmith journey had gone and, and what he wished wished he'd done differently. So that then started to put more meat on the bone as far as labeling, as far as bottling, as far as being different. And that's when it kind of all became a bit of a reality. That must have been absolutely amazing to have his insight. But back to Joe and the different ingredients, it must have been such an education for you because we do think, oh, raisins are raisins, cinnamon is cinnamon. Unless you've been around a lot of chefs and bartenders, you know, who to me are chefs. Did you feel that that six months was just like, oh my God, what a learning experience. Well, a huge learning experience, but it taught me also to understand the tastes and the flavors that you get. So some people have got good palates and some less, but when you start your brain and your palate start connecting together. So what I mean by that is. I could start telling the difference between six bits of orange in a bit of gin and leave it for two weeks. And I could tell the difference. Joe would open up the cinnamon, he'd look at the insides. I don't know how this guy even knows this stuff. He's just got an incredible break and is then taking me through the process of this is the tree because, you know, we see cinnamon and it looks, yeah, it comes in a quill. Thank you very much. How does the star of East come? So I found it amazing and it, and it improved my palate, which I was lucky enough that I, that I just kind of recognized a few senses and flavors myself, which was pure flute, but he really took it to a new level and, and I'm eternally grateful. It's amazing with how many ingredients you're talking about that it really only took six months to get what you wanted. So again, I didn't know how complicated all of this pro all of these processes are. And then when I start talking about current sultanas, raisins. And I say to Joe, mate, come on, let's just chuck in the sultanas. You know, they're half the price of the raisins and currants. Uh, when you tested, even amongst the orange and the lemon and the super spices, you could tell there was a difference. There was a different tannin. For Joe, the cost is irrelevant. Okay. So Joe just wants to make the best. And at some point you have to say, yeah, I'm afraid we can't have, you know, <laughs> the Guatemalan well-known raisin that only comes out five times a year, <laughs> you know, five buds a year. I, I'm like, mate, let's just calm it down. So, so 
we did the best we could while keeping it a viable project. Now, did you always know that the base spirit was going to be gin? That's a good question because originally it was vodka. Fairfax, again, super helpful. So, you know, why vodka? And I said, well, you know, and he said, he said, gin is more popular than vodka. You can make it with gin. I didn't think too much about it. The gin added a touch of juniper to it. That was just an easy decision to make. Very straightforward when we switched. So it's a liqueur. Why did you decide liqueur versus liquor, making it sweet, making it not sweet? No idea, really. It, <laughs> it, it, ju it just, it, it, you know. It just happened. Yeah. It, it took on a life of its own. And, it, you know, it's an interesting question because I've, I've recently been going out for some funding for the project. And the first question is, what's a liqueur? You know, I strangely didn't think that was a question that was going to get asked for me. I mean, we've all got liqueurs. If you, you know, from growing up at a young age, there'd be some kind of, you know, cassis or kind of, you know, raspberry, whatever from usually from Dijon, picking it up on holiday that would get syrupy. So I presumed everyone would know what a liqueur was, but. When I think about it, the flavor, you know, the sweetness, the sweetness brings with it huge flavor, which was interesting. So yes, there's the raisins and there's the freshness, one thing or another. And when I started mixing it with things, I realized that it was really mixable to not be kind of, to be an alternative to a martini, let's say. And so it just ended up like that really. Yeah. All right. So you have your, 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 after your six months, you have something you think is fantastic. What was your idea going forward after that time? As, as in, as in to try and sell it or. Yeah. What did you, so you have this, what are you going to do with it? Right. So, so we designed the label, right? Which, which there we go. There's. The okay. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Now the late. Okay. Right. Is that for later? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's for now, but. Okay. No one knows anything about it. Right. How about Reverend Herbert? All that stuff. Right. We're then in the process of what, what are we going to call it? You know, how do we name it? And there was nothing. And, and, and I'm a big fan of things happen for a reason. And I am at my Auntie Caroline's house having, having lunch. And she brings out a, uh, a flask of his from the war, right? One of the wars. And it's got, it's got a recipe on it and it's got slows in it and one thing or another. So I'm, I'm like, wow, you know, how have I kind of suddenly been making this and he had a, a, a Reverend Huber had, had this. And then, then there's this connection between me and Hubert. And okay, wait, 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 back up, back up for yeah, a second. So who is, you've got to tell us okay, who sorry, Reverend yeah. Hubert right. is. So, so Hubert is my great grandfather. He was a chap who, who I didn't know much about, who was a composer of music. He was an amazing reverend. He was a chess champion. He fought in the war. So lots of really interesting, good stuff. But having said all that, right, he also was married a couple of times and it was clear that he enjoyed a party and I, I've seen all these pictures of him at a lot of parties. There are other photos in the church of, you know, you can imagine a Christmas Eve gathering a few carols and then a few drinks, all that situated on a tennis court. 
because he was a big tennis fan. So he insisted on a grass court naturally next to the vicarage. So, so when I look at all the pics, whenever I see him, he's smiling, he's happy, he's jolly. You know, he's clearly enjoying his life and the label, right? For, wait, 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 wait. So before you picked him for his label, so did you know all of this about him? No, I knew, I knew absolutely nothing. I, I didn't have a clue. Didn't have a clue. So you're at dinner with your aunt and she says, here's yeah. a flask. Yeah. And you said, whose flask yeah. is this? And I never knew. What? I wish I'd known him. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then, yeah. and then, you know, and then I started paying for his huh. stuff and his, and it, and, and, and this amazing Bible. And then I look into the family history without getting a bit kind of, who do you think you are type of thing. And, and it was, you know, it was, it was interesting. And what was the recipe for? His recipe, he had two flasks of which one of the recipes I couldn't read very clearly, but it was from when he was in Egypt. So one of his jobs was to guard the Sphinx. So I've got photos of him in front of the Sphinx, right in his uniform. And then I've got photos of him, you know, kind of on, on a horse and, and camels and all the rest of it. And so that recipe, you can see raisins on there, right? You can see spices, right? And I'm, and I'm going to guess that those spices were the kind of spices we're using now, uh, and hence the kind of the, the amalgamation of the two, if you want the two recipes. Were you like, oh my God, I can't believe that. A relative of mine was making a spirit and I'm making the same spirit practically. I, I suddenly thought this is absolutely remarkable. And when that kind of stuff came together, there was no question that my ambition to make this happen became more. And I was super keen to get Hubert out there, Hubert Bell, which I think is quite a cool name and, and, and to see what happened. You can even make this up. This no, is you can't. You like, can't. Yeah, this is like meant to be. Okay, now let's get back to the label. So you have the liquid. Yeah. Um, how did you decide, say, the branding, the marketing? Obviously, you think, okay, it's got to be Reverend Hubert. It's a great name, the style of the bottle, and definitely the label. So the label came about because I read uh, articles about him. And during one of the wars, the Belgian refugees came to England and he was at the time based near Nottingham and they shifted them up away from London as, as they did. And one of the things that he did, which just rema remains in my mind was to go around, no one had any money or anything, but he, he used to collect eggs. He used to persuade anyone with chickens to collect eggs. And then that was reported in the papers about being a good idea to be resourceful, you know, as we were in those days. I read some of his, some of the love letters that he'd had and received, and it made me think of a label, which really wanted to show two sides of his character. And here you've got his halo. Okay. Now before, a lot of people might not see it, but it's very, very colorful. It's like a stained glass window, the stained glass window with his face on it. So go on, describe it for us. Well, it's stained glass windows and amongst the label. Uh, there are meanings, which is his saintliness with the halo. And on, on the opposite side of the bottle is his kind of party, uh, style. So it represents, it's got a picture of a martini glass. It's got a tennis ball. It's got some hidden meanings, um, to show his appreciation of great things in life, which I think women was one of the things he appreciated. Uh, 
it's a fun label and, and it's a fun drink. The label is fun. It's meant to be fun. It's not, it, you know, it's a seriously well-made drink, but it, it is for fun. It's meant to be for fun. It's meant to be for celebrating just like the Rev would have his parties. And, and that's kind of the label and the Rev coming together. Now, how long did it take you to create this label? Because it's it's really beautiful and it's pretty intricate. I would be useless at that. I met lots of people who had some half-decent ideas and all that was going through my mind was Fairfax back in my two-hour meeting in, mm -hmm. in High Road House just going, the label, the label, the label, the label. And you get to a point, don't you, where you, where you think, Gosh, you know, I've spent a lot of time on that. I, I really want to get on with things. But in the back of your mind, you know, you're not quite there. And I remember, let's say three months in, just scrapping everything, you know, and starting again and watching my bank account drain. But I had this great chap called Luke who, who just we just came together at the right time. I think clearing everything off, starting again, and, and, and it was a half-decent, enjoyable process, which these things can or cannot be. So you got the label, you got yeah. the bottle. It's a great-looking bottle. Thanks. And you're making it. By the way, where do you make it? Some great friends, Wood Brothers, make it. And it, it, it's right next to Bryce Norton. If anyone can picture those big planes taking off, taking our boys off to to afghanistan or iraq or whatever you know when, when you're seeing that plane take off that's where we're making it so you know all right so so you got it in the cotswolds you have it in the bottle what do you do next <sighs> so, <laughs> obviously you laugh <laughs> yeah in my head when i drink this uh, uh, and when i sip it i am picturing a fortnum and mason mince pie now no, right. So I love mince pies and Fortnum's mince pies are ridiculously good. In my head, I thought, I'll, I'll go and get this into Fortnum and Mason. <laughs> and so this is probably where my lack of experience in doing this helped because I, I think there is a bit of this kind of, you've got to put it into various shops and pubs. And then the public pick it up, whereas I was, I want it in M&S. Um, so Fortnum's loved it and stocked it. I mean, you know, so, so my first deal is with Fortnum and Mason. And then they're making me a, 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 this awesome, I don't know what you call it, a plinth or whatever it is. And it's got, you know, it's got a nice glass case with my bottle in a case. And now I'm like, wow, unstoppable. Here we go. One of the things I always say is, yeah, uh, if you don't play, you can't win. Yeah, <laughs> and you just have to ask. If, you know, people can always say no, but you just have to ask. And sometimes it works out with you and Fortnum and Mason. How fabulous! So you, they've got it in a glass yeah. case. It says Reverend Hubert Winter Gin Liqueur. Come on and get it. How did it do? It did amazingly well, and uh, you know, I, 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 again amazingly well for me, for me at that stage is probably different from now because, you know, if I, if I could sell six bottles, I was pretty happy, but you know, we were selling hundreds and on the, on the back of this and on, on, on the back of, uh, 
the great people at Fortnum's, we came together then for me to make a Fortnum and Mason mince pie and marmalade liqueur, which is, you know, so, so the mince pie-ness of the Reverend Winter is there. I love marmalade. So we kind of had a chat and said, well, you know, there might be a dumb idea, but how about we make this? So we, we make this mince pie and marmalade liqueur, which has got, you know, it's got my signature on the front, which I still find super weird. I mean, I used to have a proper job and now I'm just loving everything I do. And that. Uh, now, wait, I have a question about that first yeah. run. Uh, well, I'm going to give away secrets here. So I made, I made. You yeah, don't no, have I, to. I don't, I don't mind. So, so I made about a thousand bottles. Oh, okay. So you had enough when people said we well, want it. Well, no, because Ollie Smith from Saturday Kitchen, uh, then, you know, marvelous says, says, right, we'll put it on the telly. Um, and this is, this is mid December, a couple of years ago. And I don't particularly know what to expect when it's on TV. So I call up friends in the business and, uh, they explain that it's, you know, sometimes you can get some sales and sometimes you can't. I spoke to a friend of mine who was on the Christmas before, and I think he sold, you know, a hundred bottles and he was like, you know, it's good. He sell a hundred bottles. So it went on Saturday kitchen and I'm watching it in my living room, you know, my pajamas and it's all going well. And that's awfully kind. And, uh, I don't think much of it. I just, I just, you know, go, go and have my, my, my bacon sandwich. And I'm thinking, wow. That's so cool, you know. And then I pick up my iPad and there are 1,500 messages. And I, so my first thing was someone's acting like, oh, annoying. And then I realized these were just PayPal's coming in. And then I think, hang on, I've only got 300 bottles left. So I literally get in the car and um, I drive to the Cotswolds and I just start making it. And it's not an easy process. So it's about a three week process. And I have guaranteed everyone I, I hand wrote to people, uh, well, I sort of typed an email to say, I will make sure you have it by Christmas day. And, and I didn't really know what I was doing. So I'm at the post office all the time. I'm doing boxes. I've got all those big sellotape things, you know, with the tape on that you, you Amazon use <laughs> to seal up stuff. And I managed to get every single person their bottles. The last bottle I delivered by hand on Christmas Day morning. So, so it went absolutely crazy. And I can't say I enjoyed the two weeks of darkness uh, in, in the farm in the Cotswolds because that was hard work at minus five. But we got there in the end. That that's yeah. amazing. That's such an amazing story. Um, so now a couple of years later, you know, how has it been for you to be the owner of a spirit company? Uh, it, well, it's still the same fun, okay, Susan. So, so you, you know, <laughs> the point is, uh, and and the joy of doing this is that it's just good fun, right? So every day there's there's good fun. I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy chatting to people. I think. Things are more serious now. We've got some investment in the business, which, you know, there's only so long that you could, you know, make 5,000 bottles, um, demand 
which is great. It, it is too big for me to keep it up on my own. So I need people to help me and to do that. I now have a responsibility to other people, which I love, but we've got fun people involved. You know, we've got the Duke of Norfolk, Eddie, who has invested in spirits before, who knows what he's doing, who, who brings cleverness and knowledge and fun to the party. And that's the experience that we're going on. Uh, we've got a, a garden gin version. Fortner and Mason would like me to make something else for them. And so you wait, so you have a summer one as well. We do, right? So, so the, the summer version, if winter is a mince pie, you know, summer is, you know, uh, daisies and gardens and plums and rhubarb and pomegranates and, and, and a nice alternative to our traditional pins and big jug of something outside, you know, with a few strawberries in. and, and that's, and, and that is, has had a success over this summer. But next year, we're really going to boost it and get it, get it out and about. For those who yeah. buy a bottle and are having a big party and they want to serve it to their guests, not just after dinner, but do you combine it with cocktails? How do you think that someone should enjoy your Reverend right. Hubert? So this, this is interesting because I remember the first time me and Joe made, oh God, that was a long day, right? We made a lot of cocktails. And what amazed me was how versatile it is. And, uh, and the point of making it was to be versatile. It wasn't to sit at the back of the cupboard. So when we make things, I, I it might seem weird. But I'm always surprised that it works with this liqueur, with the lemons and the oranges and the spices and the sweetness. There's always something that can match and blend with something else. So at the moment, what I'm loving. And with the Christmas round the corner, a champagne cocktail using Rev and, and adding some bitters and a sugar cube and a maraschino cherry, you know, so you've got the fizz of the cube and the maraschino cherry turns it slightly pink. You've got this like mini volcano coming up. So you've got a bit of drama in the drink and a bit of sparkles and, and the Rev I remember my parents drinking champagne cocktails at parties when, you know, I was about 13, 14, and there's no question that was one of a party I'll, I'll never forget because people were just all over the place, right? It was, you know, it went on all night. I could tell the champagne cocktails were strong. So, so I think the champagne cocktail, you know, uh, my dad loves it in a Negroni, switching the gin out, the orange and the lemon just kind of. It does make it slightly sweeter. And I think, again, you know, I meet some people who are traditional Negroni drinkers, you know, do, it's kind of up to you a bit what you want to do. Chuck it in with some ginger ale or some clementine, you know, they're, they're just try something, you know, who knows? Oh, it all sounds divine. It all sounds divine. Now, I have yeah. two questions that I wanted to ask you, which is, again, since, since you were a home bartender, kind of by default, do you have any top tips that you could give our home bartenders out there, not just using your spirit, but just in general and that you, I guess, figured out when you were making cocktails yourself? When I started making cocktails, I, I, you know, you feel, it's, you feel slightly scared, right? That I don't know what I'm doing. And that, so there's no point being scared because most cocktails are going to taste good. Okay. You don't have to you know, 
go to Shoreditch and find a special ingredient. So use ingredients that are on your doorsteps. And when, when you think, what, what am I going to do? What can I use? And you've got a Campari and you've got some gin at the back. I, I, I'm always a big fan of shaking stuff. I love shaking things. I think that ritual of shaking your, you know, your, your nice cocktail shaker and pouring it into different glasses. It, it, it doesn't have to be a martini glass or, you know, it can be a coupe for champagne, but you know, I, I think, I think guys can work it out on their own. I, I had a conversation with someone recently who spoke about, you must have, you must have a signature serve for the rep and Yes, we've got a few signature serves, but I, I'm not going to say to anyone, do this or do that, you know, have fun with it. That's the point of, of having it. Be a bartender, enjoy it, you know, have a laugh. Just absolutely. Just one caveat. Do not shake no. champagne. <laughs> do not shake champagne. Anything with bubbles. And also, as we all learned, you don't just have to stir a Negroni. We learned that last year with our dear friend Stanley yeah. Tucci, who shook his Negroni yeah. all over the place. Yeah. So, you know, don't feel that you, I mean, he, uh, that you have you know, to so, do that. So, so I was doing that as well. And I think he was, you know, big fan of Stanley. Who doesn't love Stanley? Legend. But that, that was, he was doing that. Um, and, and I like it. You know, I think it amalgamates them together. And it creates a kind of nice little bit of white foam on the top which is visually appealing. So he, he's the man, he's doing it. Yeah, good. Exactly. It was like the Negroni that was heard yeah. around the world, you know. <laughs> now, I always leave my guests asking them one question, which is if you could be drinking anything anywhere right now, where would that be and what would it be? Susan, good, good question. I, I lived in Australia for a long time. I absolutely love Sydney. It's one of my favorite places in the world. New Year's in Sydney, there's a place on Bondi Beach called Icebergs, right? Which is, which is, which is an amazing restaurant. And you can sit there, you can watch the surfers, you can see everything coming in, you can have a cool cocktail. I, I, I don't even care what the cocktail is, to be honest. A anything they're making in that spot would be amazing. And it'd be nice to be back there. And see my friends friends over there that I haven't seen for way too long. So that would be my spot. Oh, yeah. gosh, I love that. That sounds divine. Well, it has been so great to have you on the show. I can't wait to drink the champagne cocktail. I'm going to make it tonight, definitely. <laughs> and have a wonderful holiday. And it's great. As I said, it's such a beautiful bottle. I love it. And what's inside is even more beautiful. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Susan. That's been great. Nice to see you. Thanks so much to Thomas for being on the program and sponsoring the transcript of this episode. I only wish we could have been joined by Reverend Hubert himself. It would have been great fun to have them both whip up a few cocktails of the week. You'll be shaking our cocktail of the week, the Reverend Hubert Winter Gin Liqueur Negroni. Thomas likes to shake instead of stir. No, not because 007 does it. It takes it up a level, to 11. The result is a festive, less dry, holiday Negroni. You'll need 30 mils of Reverend Hubert Winter Gin Liqueur, 30 mils of Sweet Vermouth, and 30 mils of Campari. Add all of the ingredients to a shaker, add ice, and then shake, shake, shake. Then strain it into a chilled glass over ice. You'll see a thin layer of foam will form like a winter's frost on the surface. 
Then, garnish with a slice of clementine zest, twisted to release the oil. You'll find this recipe, more Reverend Hubert Winter Gin Liqueur Recipes, and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll find all the ingredients in our shop. Back to Venice I go for the Venice Cocktail Week. Que fortunata. I can't wait to report back. So if you live for Lush Life, make sure you head out to the bars and restaurants you love and tell them how much you love them. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and always drink responsibly. Next time, we're digging into the history of drinking in the city of London. By that, I mean the square mile that is the city of London. Until that time, bottoms up. <laughs>